Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of Bible-believing truth proclaimers and defenders, hello again. Thank you so much. We uh, have hit, I think, another record in podcast downloads in the last five-day average, because we're only Monday through Friday. We're not on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And I've just been amazed by the amount of uh, people that are sharing people that are finding out about us. And again, because we are censored on social media, it's not anything we're doing. It's God, and he's moving on the hearts of people in the body of Christ, getting this message and our excellent guests and what they have to share to the people who need to hear it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to thank Red Pill Prints. Our sales uh, have been kicked off there, T-shirts, mugs, uh, sweatshirts, and uh, hats, and other things with the Stand Up For The Truth logo. They don't make any money from this, guys. They're doing this as a donation to our ministry. So all proceeds from anything that is ordered goes to this podcast, Stand Up For The Truth. So uh, if you go to our website, StandUpForTheTruth.com, go up to the upper left-hand corner, you'll see now a new button that says Merch. And that's merchandise. And uh, we just thank you for indirectly supporting us that way. Um, I've got some headlines to go through, but I want to read some scripture to kick us off today from Romans chapter 8. And then we're going to introduce our first-time guest, Jonathan Brentner, and we're going to talk about The Triumph of the Redeemed, a new book. Romans 8, starting in verse 14, says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of fear or a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's just a powerful verse that we're going to really talk about today with Jonathan as he writes a lot that will encourage our hope in the future and what we have to look forward to in heaven and the return of Christ. Because we may be going through it, friends, here in the near future. Some of us are already going through tough times. But uh, who knows when things go south, what we're going to have to be dealing with and up against, whether that be the church or just our country and economy. So we are going to need to cultivate this hope. But before I get to the headlines today, and we're just going to spend a little bit of time there, I want to bring in our guest. Jonathan Brentner is a Christian author, writer, former pastor, and speaker. He writes weekly articles for his blog, Our Journey Home providing sound biblical understanding and commentary on prophecy and world events. And he's from Illinois. His new book is called The Triumph of the Redeemed, an eternal perspective that calms our fears 
in perilous times. How very appropriate. Jonathan, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, David. It's an honor to be on your show. It really is. Well, thank you for your time and for writing this book. I love it. It's so encouraging. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, You share a powerful testimony that I want you to share a little bit of, just to introduce you to our audience, just so they know uh, you haven't had a perfect life. You've you've been through it, brother, and you've uh, gone through the spiritual warfare and the attacks, and uh, you came out latching onto that victory that we have in Christ. Um, we're going to talk about your book in the next segment and the second and third segments today. Um, I am going to talk about your article on Ukraine and devaluing human life in a few minutes. We'll kick off with that as well. But I just want to go through some headlines briefly um, just so people— I'm going to get this out of the way because we're going to focus on hope and prophecy and what we have to look forward to in Christ for the majority of this podcast. So as you know from yesterday, guys, we mentioned that a, quote, Supreme Court nominee couldn't even tell what a woman was. It's absolutely astounding where we are today as a society with the moral relativism on steroids and this gender ideology. But Democrats are now all in. Uh, as women no longer can be identified or defined, which is really a sad reflection of uh, where we're at in America. Uh, Next, over in California, Gavin Newsom, free abortions and infanticide. Newsom greenlights coverage. The next bill would legalize killing babies born alive. And the next, uh, a green utopia with $9 gas. Is Biden loving the fuel, I'm sorry, loving the high fuel prices after vowing to end fossil fuel. Next, Disney's left-wing activism creates an environment of fear that is damaging morale, according to some employees at Disney. Uh, New York Post, now that Joe Biden's president, the, the New York Times finally admits that Hunter's laptop is real. And this was a travesty in journalism that we don't have time to get into the details, but we've talked a little bit about that here in the past. Over at Harbinger's Daily, Jan Markell, Tribulation rising, the globalists need a war. And next, which we'll be uh, touching on later, Seven Dangers of Neglecting Biblical Prophecy in the Pulpit. That's by our good friend Jonathan Brentner, who we'll speak with in a minute. Hundreds of TV, radio, and newspaper outlets profited from Biden's $1 billion vaccine propaganda campaign. That's from Leo Homan. And this will lead us into our uh, first article. Ukraine is playing a vital role in the globalists' Great Reset agenda. So we're going to be talking about the difference between the leadership in Ukraine versus the people and the church there. Very big difference in the government there in the state, the leadership, and the church and believers. So, Jonathan, we're going to get to your article, Ukraine and the Devaluing of Human Life. I want to go through some of the points in that. Thank you for writing it. But let's talk about your testimony. I'm looking at your book right now. I read uh, this part last night. Um, Just phenomenal um, honesty and uh, transparency that I really thank you for because a lot of people would not want to share uh, some of what you've gone through. So just so people know, they're talking to a man who has really gone through a lot of trials and struggles and now uh, you're in a place where God is using you big time, and He's mm-hmm. blessing your ministry, as as I'm so thankful for. So share a little bit about where you were at when you were pastoring a church, and whatever details you'd like to add. Okay, um, 
I was pastoring a church, and I came upon some very difficult times, and I don't want to go into all the details, but Mm -hmm. as I mentioned in my book, my my life turned upside down and inside out many times, and and there's a chapter in my book called It Was 4 a.m., which I reflect upon the night that I went out and sat by the church that I used to pastor. I went out at, at about 10 p.m., and at 4 a.m., I was still weeping. It was mm. uh, There was just so much tremendous hurt in my life, more so than I could even go into in, in my book. But, you know, I loved being a pastor. I knew I was never going to be a pastor again because of, of what had happened. I knew that I was probably headed towards a divorce, and mm. there was just, I just felt like a total failure. And there was just so much grief in my life. And I, you know, part of writing the book was to share people not only, share with believers not only that they have hope for the perilous times that that seem to be quickly coming our way, but also for experiences of, of personal grief, of, of difficult times, knowing that there is hope above and hope ahead of them, I mean. And there's a song by by Matt Redman, I forget the name of it, but it talks about never once did did you walk did I walk alone, never once did you leave me on my own. And I think about that night alongside my church and I think, yes, the Lord was with me there even though I didn't feel it. I didn't you know, I was probably angry with God that night and it took a long time mm-hmm. after that to heal and I describe that that healing process in, in my book. But the Lord was there, and He used that, and He saw me. He saw what the plans that He had for me today, and I believe the plans that He had for me in eternity. And there's one section of the book where I talk about our reigning with Christ. This is towards the end. And, you know, I believe it's true that God sends difficult times into our life, you know, to help us grow and mature in Christ. He sends difficult times so that we can better minister to other people and difficult times so that we glorify Him with our lives. But I also bring up the idea that it's quite possible that all these difficult times, all the struggles we go through, all the experiences, the talents we have, and the gifts He's given to us are preparing us for what he has for us during the millennial reign of Christ. And I talk about Joseph as he was going down towards Egypt in chains. Mm-hmm. You know, someone would have said, yeah, you know, in about 13, 14 years, you're going to be the second most powerful person in Egypt. He'd have thought that person was insane. But that's exactly what happened. And he used all those experiences to prepare Joseph for for reigning alongside Pharaoh. And it's just, you know, and I have always identified with Joseph because I can feel the difficult times he took me through. Mm. And I just know that there's a plan and there's a purpose for them. And I also know that that in the midst of my misery, I was never alone for one second or for one moment. And as the Lord sat beside me that night at the church, he was thinking about the plans he had ahead for me in this life and the plans he had ahead for me in eternity. And I think what I failed to realize at the time was was that very thing and just to grab a hold of 
prophecy of the future mm. and what it held and what it held for me in eternity, beginning with the rapture. And as a young pastor, I love to preach about the rapture and about second, the second coming of Jesus, but it was just head knowledge. And until I really took that head knowledge and grabbed a hold of it with my heart, until I realized, really began to value the things of eternity ahead of my aspirations for this life, you know, it really didn't make any difference when I was suffering, but now... I realize the importance of, of just grabbing a hold of it, and that's what the eternal perspective is all about that I talk about in my book. Mm, you definitely went through some difficult opposition from within, and what I mean by that is mm -hmm. when you were a pastor, some people, a handful of people from your own congregation, were cri harshly criticizing you. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, just one woman was even, you know, ridiculing your ministry. And I, it, I, it's hard for anyone to take uh, criticism. But when it comes uh, seemingly out of left field, when you're just really trying to do God's work with the best of intentions and, and uh, trying to run a church, that must be very difficult. But I, I, that's one of the reasons I read Romans 8 to kick off the podcast mm -hmm. today. You focus on this verse, verse 18, in the book, um, The Triumph of the Redeemed, and I just want to read it again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I believe another translation says to re be revealed in us. What we have to look forward to in Christ, we lose sight of that. So thank you. When I was reading your book last night, I got, I just got a renewed perspective and I uh, looked at my own self and my focus on this, the temporary stuff that we sometimes get bogged down with. That's why I wanted mm -hmm. to just read the headlines at the beginning of the podcast, not get into the stories because people can just hear the headlines and they kind of figure out what they're about. But the focus for Christians is Christ. We are citizens of heaven. We have such an amazing inheritance mm -hmm. to look forward to. And so we'll jump into your book in uh, segment two um, Jonathan, but right mm -hmm. now I, I want to go over to your article because this is very relevant. This is the only article we're going to be talking about today uh, in detail from the headlines we shared, and that's mm -hmm. on the Ukraine and the devaluing of human life. Um, yes. You say, according to the World Health Organization, the number of abortions worldwide each year stands at about 73 million mm -hmm. worldwide. Yes. And then you say the genocide is barbaric and de demonic. And so um, why did you decide to put that in this article on the Ukraine and what's happening now when it comes to the uh, Russian and Ukraine crisis? Because I see, <clears throat> we see there such a devaluing of human life. Um, you know, it seems like neither side really cares about the Ukrainian people that are suffering mm. so much. You see that Putin is attacking and he's doing all he can to bring um, Ukraine to its knees and to get them to accept his terms. But on the other side, you have um, the, the president of Ukraine, who is a puppet really of the um, globalists and the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. His name is Vladimir Zelensky. Anyways, and he's a graduate of Klaus Schwab's School for Young Global Leaders. And it's like the whole world is encouraging him. All the globalists are encouraging him. And 
And there's just no consideration for the people of Ukraine that are suffering so much. And you have these these two demonic forces battling each other, I believe, and the people are just caught in the middle. And I think it's just an example of the lack of caring for the human life. And I believe that it starts with with promoting abortion. When you elect leaders who promote abortion, you're going to get leaders who don't care about human life. And that was kind of the whole point of my article, was that here you have two sides, and neither one cares Mm -hmm. about human life. Yes, and as what we've seen in America, once uh, we are okay with slaughtering innocent children in mothers' wombs, then, then the next one of the next logical steps is euthanasia and the devaluing of the elderly, and mm-hmm. uh, we can we can talk about that another time. But you say you also talk about some context. You say a, a member of the Ukraine legislature stated on Fox News that her country was also fighting for the new world order. Yesterday we talked about how Biden let it out, whether he was uh, mm-hmm. d- done doing done that purposely or whether he gaffed and uh, he was he said the quiet part out loud. He said, we are working for a new world order. And so they're not hiding it anymore. And um, Zelensky um, was a disciple of this new world order and the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab. And he Mm -hmm. one of his mentors is Justin Trudeau or one of the guys he looked up to. Uh, So he idolized Trudeau. And you know how radical Trudeau is. So I want to quote your article, uh, Canada Free Press. You said uh, Ray DiLorenzo wrote, Zelensky is not the hero. And stop right there. I almost, I got to the point where I'm going, yes, this guy's in uh, fatigues. He's staying back to help his people. We almost elevated him where he shouldn't have been elevated, although I admire his bravery and if he is actually wanting to fight for his country. But there's so much we've got to be aware of. It says, like Biden, Zelensky is a puppet of the New World Order, taking orders from the globalist elites in Davos. And go ahead and share more about this the concern. We can bring in the Build Back Better and Great Reset, whatever you want to share on this, when referring to Zelensky and Ukraine leadership. Yes, and the reference to Davos there is where the World Economic Forum is, is headquartered. And there's just so many leaders throughout the world that were trained by Klaus Schwab in this Young Global Leaders School. It's amazing. And even um, some of the heads of of major businesses, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, was trained under him. And, of course, Bill Gates was trained under him. And I listened to a a video of Bill Gates several years ago, well, it was from several years ago, like 12 to 15 years ago, and he was mentioning, yeah, we're going to have a, a worldwide vaccine, and it may kill up to 15% of those who, who take it. And I'm thinking, what? You know, that's a, that's a high percentage. I wouldn't want to take a vaccine that was had a, where I had a 15% chance of dying, but that's what he said. Mm. And you think if everybody in the world took it, then you'd have over a billion people dying. But that we just said it as a matter of fact. And I really think that the whole world, uh, or many leaders, I should say, are trained just like Zelensky is trained. And I believe that's why there is no compromising with Putin. It's, it's either all or nothing. And they want to, to discredit 
um, Putin in any way they can because they see him as a threat to this new world order. And I don't understand everything that's going on there. Mm-hmm. And there's so much fake news and yes. and so many things that come out of there. And so I, I'm not an expert on what's going on, but I can see that this clash of globalists, and I believe that that you know Putin wants the world to look like how he wants it, and the the graduates of Klaus Schwab's school they want the world to look how they imagine it, and so you have this huge clash that of which the people in Ukraine are the victims. Yes, we've got to take a break, Jonathan. Uh, by the way, friends, if you just tuned in, we're going to be talking about his new book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. Next, we are with Jonathan. Brentner, and uh, like he said, the globalists need a destabilized world in order to bring about the Great Reset. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, this article. When we come back, we're going to dive into his book. You're not going to want to miss this eternal perspective and prophecy. We'll address on Stand Up for the Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with author, writer, former pastor, Jonathan Brentner, and we're going to dive into his book in just two minutes, The Triumph of the Redeemed. Uh, Jonathan, let's finish up a couple points in your article on Ukraine and the devaluing of human life. You um, talked about Africa uh, being uh, protected, I'm sorry, projected, that enough food to feed 100 million people will not be grown this year because mm-hmm. of the outrageous cost of fertilizer. And then you can go ahead and take us to Leo Homan's quote on Ukrainian farmers. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was getting this. Well, the first quote came from Michael Snyder, and he was talking about the problems with fertilizer. And, of course, I guess Russia is one of the leading um, exporters of fertilizer in even before they invaded Ukraine, it was going to be a problem because fertilizer prices had doubled and tripled in the United States, and many farmers were were, were complaining about that. And then, and then Neil Holman mentions the fact that you know, the Ukrainian farmers, you know, they don't have um, they don't have the material, they don't have the fertilizer, the pesticides, and the, and the herbicides that they need to grow crops, and they also can't get enough fuel for their equipment. And that, that makes sense because, you know, with the Russian invasion, I'm sure that um, the Russian vehicles are taking a lot of the fuel that's there, and you have a lot of people fleeing the country as well. And so it's all shaping up to be a a worldwide crisis by the end of 2022. Mm. It it is. And uh, Ukrainian farmers, according to uh, Leo Homan, produced a record grain crop last year. And, Mm -hmm. of course, now they are short of fertilizer. Um, But this is an interesting point. Ukraine is a world leader in growing wheat and barley. Mm -hmm. And we've heard the expression that they're the breadbasket of Europe. So you tied it to Revelation chapter 6, 1 through 8, uh, in those verses talking about wheat and barley. Explain that for our listeners who may not be familiar with those verses. Okay. um, One of the writers of the Apocalypse, the Four Horsemen, and I believe it's the third one, is the one of famine, and he talks about the shortage of wheat and barley. And, of course, this is after we're safely in heaven with the Lord Jesus, and he's, 
and the third rider goes out with a worldwide famine that we find later is going to be a part of killing a great many people worldwide, but it's the, he emphasizes the shortage of wheat and barley in mm. verse 6. Okay, that's very interesting. And again, the article, friends, if you want to look it up, first, we will put it in the podcast blog at standitforthetruth.com. It's usually up by noon uh, weekdays, but it's Ukraine and the devaluing of human life. But I want to get to the hope. Um, okay. uh, first of all, you've, you, you talk about some sobering issues in the article, but you say, for all of us who know Jesus as our Savior, please know that our hope does not—I'm sorry, our hope does rest on things getting better. Wait a minute. I think it says, our hope does not rest on things getting better in this tattered and dark world, but solely upon Christ and his promise to to us. And then you say, we might suffer between now and the rapture, but whatever happens, we can rest in absolute assurance that Jesus is coming to take us to the place he's preparing for us in his Father's house. I thought you just brought that back at, at the end to such a place of, yes, even though we may go through tough times and there is suffering in this world, uh, we have an amazing hope and the promise we have to look forward mm-hmm. to. Your closing thoughts on the article, Jonathan. Okay, well, I just wanted to let people know that there is hope. Now, the rapture could happen today. It could happen but by, before we get done talking on the phone, <laughs> or we could... Um, be here a little bit longer, and we may see some of the forecasted food shortages, and it, they may impact us or those we love if the Lord does not come for us soon. And so I just wanted people to know that whatever happens, we have this glorious future ahead of us. And in, in my articles, I like to bring that out, that regardless mm. of of what we face in this life, we have a glorious hope. Amen. So let's jump into your book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. I'm just excited to talk about it. I want to condense part of the description, by the way. You can get it on Amazon, and uh, can you get it through your website, also jonathanbrentner.com? Uh, not yet. That may happen in the future, but not yet. Okay, so you can get it on Amazon, but the end of the description, I'm just paraphrasing a little bit of this here. Where does your mind run to in the midst of adversity. How do you cope with these perilous times that touch all of our lives in some significant way? Our eternal inheritance enables us to put the chaos that surrounds us into a biblical prophetic framework that both calms and encourages our hearts in a fear-ridden society. And uh, boy, do we need that today. Jonathan, um, I think I have an idea. Uh, you explained already, and you're sharing a little bit about your testimony, why you decided to write The Triumph of the Redeemed at this time. But I don't know that you realize how many believers really need the perspective and the hope of the message in this book. Um, yes, I, I think I have an idea of, of that. And, you know, you reference another article that I wrote, and we won't get into that right now, but it has to deal with the seven dangers of silence in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And those, when I look, when I was looking at the main points of that article again this morning, I realized that that was a key part of, of why I wrote the book, because when pulpits are silent, then they, believers look other places for information, and I wanted to give believers not only a reason, but I wanted to give them a 
solid scriptural foundation for for why we have this um, marvelous hope that we have. Mm. Amen, brother. So in your book, you say, let's jump right into one of the topics that's important to address. You say that premillennialism is foundational to our belief in a pre-tribulation rapture. So for mm-hmm. some of our newer listeners, we've got, we're always getting new people finding out about, about the podcast, checking it out, that may be younger believers in Christ. What is premillennialism, and why is it so important to our imminent hope in Jesus appearing? Okay, premillennialism is the belief that that Jesus will reign for a thousand years. <clears throat> it's the belief that Revelation twenty one to ten is it, we can take that literally to the intent of John who wrote it. Is he was looking at these things and he was saying that that the Lord Jesus would reign for a thousand years. <clears throat> it's also um, a fulfillment of. of many Old Testament prophecies that speak of a restoration of Israel in a glorious kingdom with with Jesus sitting on the throne of David. In fact, one of the the favorite Christmas passages in Isaiah 9 talks about not only a child being born, but it talks about this child, this Messiah, sitting on the throne of David. And why it's so important for our imminent hope is that those who deny this um, this reign of Jesus, those who take the the book of Revelation as allegory, you know they they really have no imminency. They mm. they talk about the Lord coming, the second coming happening at the end of the age, where He just comes back and fixes everything, and there is no tribulation to look forward to or, or to dread. I should say there there's none of that, and so and it starts to eat away at our imminent hope because you know the imminency of the New Testament soon drops away. If, if all we're looking forward to is the second coming at the end of the age, then no one really thinks that this is the end of the age. Well, a lot of people do, but so most people don't. But, you know, it just takes away from that imminent hope. Mm. And you really can't talk about placing the rapture before the tribulation if people don't believe there is a tribulation. Oh, my goodness. And also, you mentioned imminency. That, that our hope and the return of Christ, uh, or the rapture, I should say, it, it, if we don't have that understanding, it also um, says that we don't have a sense of urgency to share the gospel and help get, give others that hope and get people saved in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I have a section called, What If? You know, what if Jesus had told the disciples, ah, just relax. You have <laughs> you have hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. You know, I'm not coming back right away. You know, but they were not with the sense that he could come back at any moment and proclaim the gospel. And I'm finding that a lot of ministries that really emphasize prophecy are seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And so there is um, an um, urgency to share the gospel. And that's inherent, and when we talk about the Lord's return, and there's an urgency to pray for those loved ones that do not know Him as well. Uh, it might be fascinating right now, since we're talking about this, to to jump to uh, chapter 14 and just touch on the panic of the Thessalonians. And okay. what's fascinating about that is uh, Paul is correcting they had apparently been sent some letters 
that were saying the day of the Lord had already come, mm-hmm. and uh, th- th- there was some panic in the church. And so that's what Second Thessalonians primarily uh, touches on. And by the way, thank you for quoting Dr. Andy Woods. Uh, he's on the podcast mm-hmm. next week. He's one of our favorite guests here, um, and you share about his uh, book, Falling Away. But talk yeah. about the panic of the Thessalonians and and the context of here are new believers in Christ in the early church thinking that the day of the Lord had already come because of fake news, false teachers. Okay. Well, when Paul was in uh, Thessalonica, he talked a lot about the day of the Lord. In fact, in First Thessalonians, you know, he talked about, you know, the, the wrath of the day of the Lord, which I believe in First Thessalonians 5, 9 is what Paul promised that they would, that they would miss. And you have to understand that the book of Revelation wouldn't be written for another um, 40 to 45 years from the time that Paul wrote to the to the Thessalonians. And mm-hmm. so after he left, promising them that they would miss the wrath of the day of the Lord, someone did make a communication of some sort to them that the day of the Lord had already started, and it panicked these young believers. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Paul had probably shared with them what the Old Testament says about the day of the Lord, how it's going to be just a dreadful time of mm-hmm. much loss of life with the earth being shaken. And you can go to Isaiah 24 and Isaiah 13 um, to read about this day of the Lord, and it's also in Zephaniah and Joel. Anyways, when they got this, they were so shaken, and the, the word in the Greek is literally um, for an earthquake. They were shaken like, like an earthquake, they, and I get the impression they were literally shaking. And so mm. um, Paul had to hurry up and write them another letter telling them that, no, 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 uh, the day of the Lord has not yet started. And he, you know, he cites two things when <clears throat> for them to know, and he talks about... Um, the apostasy or the falling away, and that that word um, can also mean departure, and I believe that it does. And as Andy Woods talks about in his book, you know, he lays a really strong, con- really strong case for for equating that with the rapture, mm-hmm. and that that has to take place, and then the lawless one or the antichrist will be will be revealed. And one of the things I I take away from what what Paul um, said to them, or from the Thessalonians, is that here you have people that were going through severe persecution, and we don't know why some of the people in their midst had died, but it could have been a result directly or indirectly of persecution. So you have people being severely persecuted, but when they found out that the day of the Lord, which includes the tribulation, was coming, they were scared, and so people say, well, you know, the, the church shouldn't be afraid of the tribulation. It's just more persecution. But here you have these Thessalonian believers saying, you know, being scared of the day of the Lord, even though they were experiencing severe persecution. Mm. It must have been an incredible time uh, just to be alive at that time. But um, yes. the amillennialism and it, it is something that it, it really is— and, and a, a danger, really, the way you put it, um, when you don't have that imminency, you don't understand the truth, you don't understand the, the biblical or, or the prophetic timeline, and assuming there's no thousand-year reign, you've got to throw, throw out a lot of scriptures, I think, to yes, come to those conclusions. Share your thoughts on that, Jonathan. Um, yes, I mean, 
the idea of allegorizing scripture, which you have to do um, to reach an amillennial viewpoint. And throughout history, really, amillennialism was built on allegorizing scripture, Platonism, and anti-Semitism. And that, and that, those three things were with Augustine and going forward. And even through the the Reformation, you see those three things going. But I think that one, well, I know that one of the things that Amillennialism does is it robs Jesus of his future glory. And one of the posts that is probably a favorite of mine that I wrote recently is is called The Book of Revelation Magnifies Christ. And it was it started by singing Christ Be Magnified in Church, and I got to thinking about that. And then I thought, well, you know, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it magnifies Jesus from beginning to end. It just exalts him. He's called the Lamb more times in Revelation than any other place in, in the New Testament. Mm. <clears throat> and also, amillennialism opens the door to to more false teaching, to heresies, and I talk about that in my book as well. Mm. Let's go over to—actually, you know what? I was going to ask another question, and I just looked at the time. Oh, we've got to take a break in, in a minute here, but I just want to mention your book is available on um, Amazon.com. It's also available at Barnes & Noble. And friends, the book is called The Triumph of the Redeemed by Jonathan Brentner, An Eternal Perspective That Calms Our Fears in Perilous Times. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about church history. That's right. This was a fascinating chapter. Uh, actually, there's several fascinating chapters. I want to mention some names and their quotes. The evidence from church history is so important, and it's a great refresher. And we'll talk about that with Jonathan when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Jonathan Brentner, and the book is called The Triumph of the Redeemed. Let's jump right into some church history, and let's talk about some who, um, really under your chapter, The Revival of Premillennialism, you quote Justin Martyr and uh, several others, but I don't want you to give it all away, but you can't because there's so much information in the book, Jonathan, but please share what might be applicable to the conversation we're having just about reinforcing uh, these points with people that are listening. Okay. Um, one of the key people that I mentioned in, in churches here is Irenaeus, mm. and he um, was a disciple of a guy named Polycarp, who I know that's a funny-sounding name, but he was the bishop in Smyrna. He was in charge of all the other elders, or everybody who was in Smyrna, and he was put there by, by likely by, by the Apostle John, because um, Polycarp was discipled by the Apostle John. And so you have Polycarp, and then Irenaeus grew up in that church, and then he went, he went, he left there to become a bishop of Lyons, France, but he had that direct commun- that direct connection with Smyrna, and Polycarp was the was leading that church in Smyrna when the book of Revelation arrived there, you know, fresh from fresh from the hand of of the Apostle John. Wow. And so you have that connection. And, and as you look through the things that Irenaeus wrote, you can tell that he took a very literal 
approach to the book of Revelation. He talked about about the Antichrist coming. There's a number of things in in Revelation 13, especially that he he mentions in a very literal way, and so and he definitely believed that in the second coming of Christ, he definitely believed in a literal uh, millennium with the Antichrist um, defiling the temple in the middle of it. And so he's one of the people that I highlight. And mm-hmm. I think another aspect of it too is that that I'm, I'm a, when. The Church turned to amillennialism under Augustine that it existed through the Reformation. Mm. However, you know, the, the Reformation, it emphasized, you know, Scripture, in, interpret Scripture, and sola scriptura, mm-hmm. which is Latin for only Scripture, if I said it right. Anyways, um, those two things, after the, the Reformation, those two things really turned the Church to premillennialism, and that it resulted in it dominating the Church during the, the 20th century, because it was the view of the Reformers towards Scripture that really turned things around. Mm. Uh, uh, Dr. Andy Wood says the Reformers, in essence, knocked over a domino, and once it fell, the Holy Spirit raised up others who could go even further and knock over more dominoes, using the same method that the Protestant reformers retrieved from Antioch. Um, I want to mention some others in Church history um, from your chapter 19, just to touch on a few. Um, But how do you answer the claim for people that are wondering, maybe, that have heard this? Skeptics of the rapture claim no one believed in it before the late 1800s. I know you can talk about some of these other men, but how do you, in a general sense, respond to that? Okay, the first thing I would say is that um, the rapture is a biblical doctrine. You know, you look at 1 Corinthians 15 and the events that are there, and 1 Thessalonians 4, um, you know, there is going to be a time when there's going to be a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet's going to sound, mm-hmm. Jesus is going to appear, the dead in Christ are going to be raised up, and then believers who are alive are going to be caught up to meet him in the air, and 1 Corinthians 15 adds that, um, you know, we'll be changed, we'll have glorified bodies as Jesus catches us up to meet him in the air. And I would say that I would tell them that the term raptured um, occurred in the 1800s as a way to describe this biblical event. So if you say that those things aren't going to happen, then you're taking that page right out of Scripture. And I would also explain the the history of the term rapture, how it was raptura in the in the Latin Vulgate around 400 A.D., and for some reason, teachers in the late 1800s or mid-1800s began using the term rapture to refer to the event that Paul talks about in those, in those places, especially in, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. And, and placing it before the, the tribulation is another matter, you know, and I offer proof for that in my book to try to lay a biblical foundation for that, but you, you start out by saying the rapture is a biblical event. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any difference what we call it. It's a biblical event. So can I um, sum up in a way by saying, um, well, for, first of all, our pastor uses the word harpazo a lot, mm-hmm. but these words don't come from thin air. They come from Scripture, 
And yeah. you say in your book, starting sometime in the late 1800s, Bible teachers mm-hmm. began using the word rapture to, to describe the event that Paul wrote about. It's not like this is a made-up word or concept. This is a biblical concept where you can find scriptures that support these things. Would that be correct? Yes, that's very good. Yes. So let's talk about Cyprian. I wasn't familiar with him. He was a bishop in the city of Carthage. And just just share a little bit about his background and what he contributed. Um, I believe that he was a, a martyr. And, you know, I really, other than the, the quote that I share from him, you know, I'm, I'm really not that familiar with him. But <clears throat> I know that he talks about or the yeah, the early departure. He talks about mm-hmm. it being a departure, and it really kind of fits with what Andy Woods talks about in his book, The Falling Away. You know, with First the Second Thessalonians five three talking about departure, because if you translate that word departure, then you're talking about um, the rapture. And and I always took that word to mean apostasy till I read his book and and listened to J.D. Farag talk about it as well. But it kind of backs that up because he refers to the rapture as a departure, an early departure before a time of tribulation. And that's the point I was trying to make in the book, to have all these authors from early church history who are separating the second coming from Jesus appearing to take his church home to heaven. Guys, if you get this book, The Triumph of the Redeemed, um, read the whole thing. The first couple of chapters are particularly captivating, and it draws you in to want to hear the hope that we have in Christ and our inheritance and what we have to look forward to. But but I would really recommend jumping to uh, chapter 19 and 20 just to talk about some of these things. And in chapter 20, uh, the biblical necessity of the pre-tribulation rapture, Jonathan provides um, uh, what, what he calls sum, a summary of the chapters as to show how each assertion builds on the one before it. And uh, premillennialism, the rapture cannot happen the same time as the second coming, uh, the New Testament expectation of Jesus appearing, uh, the, the surprise beginning of the day of the Lord, um, the Panic of the Thessalonians, which which we touched on briefly, Jesus' promise to the church at Philadelphia, the unveiling of the Antichrist, the need for witnesses during the tribulation. Just some great points in this chapter 20. Jonathan, we've just got about five minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity uh, to talk about what five aspects of our hope you emphasize in your book, why they are so important to us as believers. Okay, the the first one I emphasize is just the receipt of, of new bodies, of glorified bodies at the time of the rapture. Mm, and I think God. one of the problems with um, with what's going on with the silence in the pulpit is that no one talks about these glorified bodies we're going to receive. Mm. And it may be because I'm I'm older, and you know, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the inner wholeness that comes with that. And so there's this imperishable, glorified bodies that I talk about, and it's like it's like trade. It'll be like trading in an old rusty out, out Pinto for a Jaguar or a Mercedes Benz. It'll be a dramatic change. And then I talk about. Uh, the jubilant celebration, there'll be a great celebration in heaven that um, Revelation 19 talks about, and that'll be so, mm. that'll be wonderful. And yes. I think 
And I believe that our returning with Christ, I mean, this will be the probably the most spectacular event the world will have seen up to that point. And I believe it'll be kind of drawn out as the Lord marches across the the sky as the great conquering king with a host behind him and and yeah. we'll be right there with him at, at that time. And then there's the reigning with Christ, which I think is so significant. Yes. Because people you know, they, they think that all the suffering is, is limited just to this life and that, you know, the good that comes from it, yes, you know, the Lord's going to work through this, and they, they stop, you know, before they get to eternity. But a lot of the bad things that happen to us, experiences that the Lord brings into our life, are shaping us for our reign with Christ. Mm. And then there is eternity on the new earth and the new Jerusalem, which which I think will be beyond what we can imagine and and it'll it'll be just it'll be wonderful. I you know, I think once we're there we'll just have forgotten about all the pain, all the things of this earth and we'll just be it'll it'll be a glorious experience, something that'll be wonderful. We'll be reconnected with, with family and friends. I'm Amen. I'm looking forward to seeing my mom and dad again and, and other and other people that have gone before me as well. A massive family reunion. Romans yeah. eight eighteen uh, let's consider that the sufferings of this present time not are they are unworthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, Jonathan, uh, just a couple minutes left in the introduction to your book. Very important points um, about why sometimes we lose our joy, the excitement, uh, the wanting to share the hope that we have with others. You mentioned several things, the busyness of life, misconceptions that we sometimes have about heaven. I've heard that before, right? You mentioned that. Also, silence in the pulpits. But one that uh, I think we're really dealing with to a large degree across America in American Christianity, which we can differentiate from biblical Christianity, teaching that lacks a biblical two-world perspective. Can you encourage uh, brothers and sisters in our audience that are listening right now that are struggling under some of the teachings of their current church or pastor? Um, Yes, I would say that it's so important to have that eternal perspective because things in this life don't often turn out the way we would like it. In fact, they rarely do. Mm. And I I was laboring under that misconception when I was a young pastor. I thought, okay, you know, I had gone to seminary. I was pastoring a church. The Lord's really going to treat me well and, and bless me, but that wasn't necessarily the case, obviously. He took me through some very difficult times, and very difficult times do not mean that the Lord has abandoned us. It just means that He has something in store for us that's better. I know that sounds cliche, but... If, if you put all your hope into, okay, I'm going to align my finances, I'm going to do this according to what the Bible says, I'm going to, you know, to do, to have a marriage that, you know, but, and that's wonderful, that's great, but sin often enters in, our sin and the sin of others, that, that takes away from those things, and we just need to keep our minds focus on eternity. Now, it doesn't mean that we give up on setting goals or or earthly aspirations or dreams, but I believe it means that we hold them loosely in our hands. Mm -hmm. 
And as the shadow of the tribulation grows darker over our world, it's time to hold those things even looser in our hands um, than ever before. And again, mm. it's not that we ignore things in this life, it's that we value the eternal realities above the, our, our earthly aspirations, which is something I missed for a very long time in mm. my life. Mm. Well, praise God for your testimony and this book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. We've got a minute left, and I just want to share uh, from the end of the book, the conclusion, where you write about those who have been careless in their walk with the Lord will miss out on the rewards at that time when he returns. Uh, there's a special blessing reserved for those watching for the Lord's return. Second mm-hmm. Timothy 4, 8 says that those who love Jesus appearing receive a crown of righteousness. And this signifies that those who eagerly await his return will receive special recognition, and Jesus will approvingly acknowledge our watchfulness during these last days. Jonathan, I love the book. I encourage people to go check it out, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and uh, your website, JonathanBrentner.com. You're also a writer for Harbinger's Daily. You can find Jonathan's articles there including Seven Dangers of Neglecting Biblical Prophecy in the Pulpit. Jonathan, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for being with us today. Okay, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. The Triumph of the Redeemed. Well, remember to check out redpillprints.com, and there's a section for Stand Up for the Truth, which they donated to us on their website. It's just been amazing. Uh, It's a new relationship that we've had that they are really uh, blessing this ministry Uh, We've got that linked up at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But I also want to check just some upcoming guests. Next Monday, we get to hear from Pastor Dan Fisher of Fairfield Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. And Alex Newman will be back with us on Tuesday. James Simpson, the book on Karl Marx next Wednesday. Dr. Andy Woods, we talked about him and quoted him. He'll be with us on Thursday and Dr. J.T. Taylor on Critical Race Theory on Friday. What a loaded week next week, guys. Thanks again for your support of the podcast. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.